to Mind Crime Liberty Show with me, Swithin Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we discuss how much would an ideal society pay for healthcare? Tim. In this episode, I'd like to discuss like what are the limits of what one wants to pay for healthcare, whether individually or on a more higher collective level. So like when I buy a coat, tires, or walk into a restaurant and buy something, one of the central things, if not the central thing under discussion, is how much does a thing cost and what its relative value is or isn't. So so you know, I'd buy the steak a steak more often than chicken. If um because I'd I'd buy I'd buy the chicken more often than the steak because the chicken is cheaper. Now, again, I probably like steak better than chicken, but you know, I'd probably buy I'd probably buy it more if it was less. Um now I don't think it's conspiracy why steak costs a lot of money. It's a it, cows are sort of harder animals to do. I think the dollar per calorie rate is higher. I think beans are some of the least um of the dollar per calorie and so forth. But that's not really the point. I don't think it's a conspiracy there to, to to keep the price of one higher than the other. It's a sort of rational price there. Um so and actually there's an interesting homeschooling video that said like you know one way to save money is to eat cheap eat, don't eat as much meat or don't eat as much steak. Um so I, I do think there's scarcity same way with coats, you know you get the value for the per dollar coat or you're saying with tires. And the thing is, I can't really do this with healthcare. It seems like it's only Cadillacs or BMWs to use a kind of uh, of analogy here. Like so even state socialized healthcare, in theory, everyone gets the same high quality care. Now, of course, in the, in the sort of private system, which no one really has, you sort of could buy things. Now, I would argue that certain political movements, both on the left and the right, sort of don't allow anyone to economize here. Um, and I think this choice you know, of whether to economize or whether not to economize is, um, you know, is, is essential here. So I, 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 I could boil my argument or my point into three points, three sub points here. So first of all, you know, I mean, it's basically a choice between do you want to have a nice dinner or do you want to pay for for an extra surgery here? If you want to sort of like a one sentence version, you know, vacation or surgery, nice dinner or or knee replacement surgery, you know. Uh, so my first point here, opportunity costs exist. Money resources spent, everyone knows this, money resources spent on drones in Yemen can't be spent on chiropractors, knee replacements, and beach vacations. Even Ben Burgess agrees with us in his interview with Joe Rogan. They made this point that, like, you know, all this money that goes to military industrial complex can't be spent on health care. So apparent, you know, opportunity costs and sort of relative loss of value is not some, like, you know, thing that only right libertarians think about. Also point number two, scarcity exists. There isn't infinite in everything. Evolution in the Garden of Eden, both of the two primary worldviews in the West, which is mainly area of discussion, if not the world, because you know, you know Jews and Muslims more or less buy in the same same sort of fallen worldview. So you, you can make argument evolution have basically roughly the same out insofar there's scarcity for some reason, whether it's natural, because like we live on this plant that orbits the sun that giant nuclear weapon or something like the sun heat death the universe you know there's only so many things out there so even if you take the sort of hoppy and chomsky like quote unquote unquote utopians you're still going to have like i know the chomskyites and hoppians will always make points well you abolish this or that you're going to have less regulation or less you know more innovation or something like that Uh, now different left and right libertarians do slightly different maneuvers here but in general I would say healthcare is an expensive good. It's a good that costs time. And even, if you, um, and even, and this is my 
and, and, and also much of the solutions that these guys pose, both Hoppe and Chomsky here, uh, may increase costs elsewhere. So let's say you abolish uh, IP and, you know, let's say regulations or something like that. Well, you might have higher labor costs and the higher labor costs may cancel out the effect. So it depends how far you want to take the hypothetical here. And my third point here is healthcare demand, if prices are low or super, super abundance, I guess. So let's say we have this sort of breakthrough innovation. You know, so like if you had the breakthrough super innovation and you now have super abundance, the demand for it's also going to go up. I think this is just sort of simple economics here. I mean, I would like to go to a chiropractor yesterday, but I didn't go partly because I couldn't get wouldn't be able to get an appointment quick enough and partly because it cost me 80 bucks to do it. It's just not worth it. You know, if it costs zero dollars, I'd be more likely to go to a chiropractor yesterday when my neck was sore. Um, um, but, you know, one of the points I made on our very first episode, speaking of superabundance and scarcity, is, you know, one of the back in the dark ages when the uh, lockdown was starting, one of the arguments was that there wasn't enough ventilators for everybody. Now, regardless of whether this point is actually relevant, but whether the ventilators actually do anything, there's another article that came out the opposite, say, um, you know, ventilators cost like ten to twenty thousand dollars to make. Again, you can say, well, under Chomskyite or Hapastan, you might say they cost two thousand dollars. So maybe, or maybe, but that's still two thousand dollars that can't be spent on a nice dinner. That's two thousand dollars that still can't be spent somewhere else. Um, so yeah, you could in theory imagine a society that has a ventilator and ICU waiting for every person. Uh, you know that. I mean, take EpiPens or things like that. They used to be very expensive. Now they're less expensive. Now, again, there's always subsidies and there's always IP. And and, and then the Chomsky's would always, funnily enough, would talk about innovation. An interview with Peter J. Chomsky said that, you know, there wouldn't be any dirty jobs because we just innovate robots to get rid of them. Now, whether that's true or not, you know, that's a good question. But, you know, I, I do I do think there's scarcity exists. And even under superabundance, you have to make a choice. You know, like, you could, you're going to spend money on your space pro. Let's say you have like a Hutterite commune here where everyone makes the same amount of money. Okay. Hutterites are sort of a Christian subgroup, sort of like the Anabaptists. Everyone makes the same money. Everyone's equally motivated to work. Okay. Okay. What level is this community going to spend? Let's say they have a space program and they have, you know, a very a cancer ward. You know what? Like you can't do both. You can do X. You can do Y. You can try to do X, Y. But if, if you try, but oftentimes, you, but you cannot put all the hours, all the community labor hours into X, Y. You could, if you put them all into X, you put 90 percent into X. Let's say X is the space program and Y is the healthcare. You know, what, what is actually the breakdown here? And I think I think that's that to me is like the interesting question that doesn't really get answered because you hear a lot of people talk about that you have a right to health care on the left. And, you know, the Christian right, like Peter Hitchens and Steve Bannon and others basically agree with the Christian left and say that this is something that the state should provide. Um, and also, you know, you know, if you, Matt, you get into like the life, you know, the life debate, so to speak, right to life debate, this also shows up as well. Um, you, know, you know, and again, I, one of the critics I have, like, I think health, both Sean Gabb and Ben Burgess would be that like that. In 1960, health hospitals, for better or worse, weren't as well equipped with advanced goods. Now, again, I, I'm well aware that there's a sort of alt medicine out there that like suggest that all this expensive good is not that good. But let's just take the argument to suggest that this expensive technology in there, even if you make it cheaper, you still can't, 
even if you make the goods cheaper, you still have to make a choice at some point, you know, what's the cost of diminishing return of this extra procedure? And I actually think there's a sort of humane element too. And I've almost everyone's probably aware of grandparents or aunts or uncles who are elderly. And, you know, oftentimes when they're younger, they say they don't want to have like these extensive end of life treatments that are quite expensive. Now, again, they wouldn't, might not be as much under an ideal circumstances, but still they would, they would cost something. And in this sort of hypothetical community, that is dollars that can't be spent elsewhere. And even like, and further, my final point is with respect to insurance here. And I think Hoppe makes this point very well that insurance is kind of a trick what a lot of people use. It, 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 for one thing, it changes your behavior. That's the a priori argument. It just sort of changes behavior. And like charity that the Amish do um, to pay for their bills in the United States, they supposedly won't pay for for fun accidents like ATVs, skydiving. So like if you get hurt go using the ATV, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't pen, pay a million dollar health bill. And even let's say it's one hundred thousand um, dollars. That's still a significant amount of money that has to go that could go elsewhere. Let's say the Barnes Society or let's say, you know, like if you're a rich guy in this community, it wouldn't be rich, but you wouldn't have any individuals rich. Um, but I think the point of like, what is the. Um, what is the limits here? And this comes up with Ben Burgess again with his Robin's Crusoe. He gets sort of annoyed because you can make the example like, well, Robin's Crusoe has to fish. If Robinson Crusoe is fishing, he can't and he, he can't give medical care to his friend Friday. So there is sort of like a scarcity that exists here. If you just imagine a two person society here. Um, so it's within. Overall, what would you make of my sort of opening question here and comments here? I, I think at some point this, you know, like. You always, you always get in the hypothetical game, you know, like how far do you want to take the hypothetical here? But I, I, I think it's perfectly humane to say, you know, I'm 90. I don't want, you know, like if I could have that kind of option, I might not do that. I might say, I, you know, I don't care about you know, my health after 90. You know, I'm going to pay less now and, instead of, you know, pay less now in premiums. If you say, you know, any of those things that happened there, I don't I don't care about. I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Um, if anything, it's it might be actually a good thing to do, let alone being bad. What do you make about this? Swithin? What do you make about my comments? You know, how much would an ideal society pay? Uh, like, would it pay almost all of its money after it has food? I think that would be insane. What do you make of it? Um, interesting. I, I think I broadly agree, although I will do the thing that you think Chomsky and Hopper do first, which is annoying. But then I'll get to the question. Um the more fundamental question, I think, which is basically how, when is having medical intervention worth it and how much should you pay for it? So I do think it's the case that um, in a genuine um, free market of medical care, that the medical bills would be a lot lower. As you mentioned, intellectual property, uh, obviously drugs would be a lot cheaper. Um, equipment in hospitals would be a lot cheaper. Also remember as well here, if we're going for a completely deregulated one, we're no longer going to have... Um, uh, licensing, at least not government licensing of physicians and surgeons. Um, now, does this mean that people are going to have a really difficult surgery by um, someone who isn't really trained? Well, probably not. But lots of other bills would be smaller. I mean, so for instance, if I remember correctly, in certain states in America, uh, dental hygienists can't set up their own practice to do basic dental work. They can only work under an officially registered dentist. And there's lots of sort of uh, licensing things like that, which essentially just push up the cost of lots of different uh, and, and relatively 
simple um, uh, medical uh, procedures. Um, so I do think sort of the, the wages, as it were, would be lower as well in general. So I do think that'd be a lot cheaper. Now, that said, even under the current American system, uh, you can still get the healthcare significantly cheaper than is generally supposed. Um, two places that do this. Um, one is um, cost-sharing um, organizations. So this was basically like a mutual uh, aid um, society um, used because she had a very, very, very rare form of cancer and they basically paid all the money. And um, it ran, ran to over a million dollars or something like that. Uh, it, seriously rare, seriously aggressive. And um, the medical, the cost sharing ministry, they call it, I think she pays a couple of hundred dollars a month and it hasn't gone up since she had the the, the, can, the cancer. So it's not like a, um, it's not like a, um, like an insurance company because typically then it'd be, oh, insurance premiums going up because you're going to get cancer again. It'd be really expensive. Um, so there are ways in down. And there's also things like crowd uh, health. This is featured on the Tom Wood show, uh, where there you can get, you know, average monthly payment for medical bills. Um, Join the scheme is like $175 a month. Anyone between the age of six and 54. Um, although you do have basically a $500 uh, deductible uh, for that or an excess if you're in England. Um, and... Um, Again, so that is much cheaper than is typically quoted. So even in the currency, you can get relatively cheaper. Now that said, then the question arises, well, how much would an ideal society pay for it? Because, you know, you could always spend more and you could always spend less. And the question is, by how much? One thing to caveat with this, and I think this is a related question, is um, I think the reason why society at the moment is paying proportionally more of its income in of the, of the sort of output of the economy in um in uh medical bills is because you have an aging society because the birth rate is low um so, so that's one thing to consider here is well one of the reasons why the medical bills are going up basically the older you you become the more expensive you are so i mean just taking this number from crowd health uh join crowdhealth.com um not to five year olds are 225 dollars a month and 55 to 65 is 325 um i'm not sure how much they cost for over 65 um they maybe don't actually cover them which would be interesting. Um, I haven't checked. I, I don't know, but I know that those sorts of things do exist. With the cost sharing thing, I'm pretty sure they do. But it is in general the case that the older you are, the more expensive it's going to be, be beyond, say, 65 in, in, in many cases. Um, so the question is, well, how much should you spend? I think to a large extent, this thing gets to sort of like a fundamental sort of philosophical one, which is when is medical... Um, when is medical uh, intervention desirable? You know, how much value are you going to get from it? And as you mentioned before, it just seems to be the case that there are a lot of people who have medical interventions which basically just keep them alive. And that's pretty much all they do. And the question is, well, is it really worthwhile paying for them? Um, now, I am of the view that, well, probably not. But the problem is, the problem with making these sort of decisions is you're where you are now. You're not where you are in like 30, 40 years time. And, oh, it's a new drug. You don't know how well it would work. You know, it could work really well. So that would be worth spending on. 
Um, but um, I think interestingly, the idea that you want to could have a life extension for um, as long as possible is probably as a result of um, uh, is probably a result of um, the fact that people think, well, when you're dead, you're dead. And so we've got to live our best life now. And so just a life extension itself becomes an end in itself. Um, I think that's probably one of the moves from society um, to, to go that way. When it comes to medical things, when it comes to fun stuff that the Amish won't pay for, uh, I think that that's probably worth paying for. I mean, it depends on the particular arrangement. I mean, I mentioned these sort of what affecting mutual aid society. I have no objection to insurance in principle. But I mean, you ca- I had the idea that it, you want to be able to li- uh, do as much as you can, you know, live life to the max in the terrible cliche sort of term. And so it kind of would make sense that you would be able to sort of, you would want, well, but it's way. If I was someone who did skydiving and I got injured, I kind of want to be treated. And so I'd be kind of willing to pay for that, um, depending, of course, you know, what the chances of recovery are like. But the thing is, though, even if I was paralyzed and I could still have my mind and not be in constant pain, then maybe. Um, but it would, but you are right. It would depend on the specific costs at the time. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned you didn't go to the chiropractor because it would cost $80. Um, this is where I think a lot of paying out of pocket for particular procedures makes sense. Ron Paul mentions this, um, that medical insurance in the US was originally started out as a um, a cover for catastrophic um, injury, which would require a significant amount of money. Uh, whereas now it's kind of covered everything, which kind of doesn't really make much sense i mean related to that i mean insurance like car insurance so like, oh you could claim on it but then it's like nah, you may as well pay out of pocket because it'll just make your insurance premium go up and you just end up paying more anyway um but in medical fields it seems like everything is now covered in um at least in america to some extent with that and same in the uk i mean you have loads of people going to say the nhs you don't need to go um but because it doesn't cost them anything well, they go so you get over usage so um as to how much an ideal society would use of medical care, um, I would hope they wouldn't spend as much on pure life extension. Um, but that's not obvious. Uh, I don't know uh, if, if if they would, um, because the more money you have, the more you use to spend on it. But then again, there's always the opportunity cost. So as society gets richer overall, you might expect proportion more to spend on it. Um, beyond a certain level but um, if the ideal society had the idea that life extension per se wasn't desirable then um, then they probably wouldn't but again that's going to depend on more basic kind of theological views of life after death etc so those would be my sort of long rambling thoughts on your original comments your comments about insurance being weird insofar as like it started out for just being you know against catastrophic things and move into a thing for like everyday things is entirely correct. Insurance is a weird good. In, well, I would argue that healthcare in particular is a weird good. Uh, you know, even speak, so comments like Hayek, Kenneth Arrow, you know, sometimes you get thrown in the libertarian camp and as well, of course, the Paul Krugmans. And of course you can go further left, you know, your Richard Wolfers would argue that, uh, that, Healthcare cannot be provided, but it's a kind of market failure. You can't. So I would say that healthcare is a weird good insofar as 
insofar as there's a sort of for really catastrophic things, you know, it's 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 a it's it's a good which for common sense morality people to to deal with. Uh, it, it poses problems here. So, like for example, I know someone who was life flighted out of a state park, um, and I think I think I'm not exactly sure what the got into an accident in the state park here. I think like I think it was the bill was that life flight was a long life flight because it's sort of remote, and um, you know, you know. If the ambulance could have driven there, like you know, how many, how much, how many dollars would that have saved? Would that be worth it here? So if you get in these sort of catastrophic situations, you're not really able to make decisions in truly catastrophic situations. And one of the sort of bugaboos with the um, American system is they'll treat you, but then they'll give you a bill later. And this is how people go bankrupt here. So like even with the cost, those those programs you talk about, you have to have the intelligence or the imposition to do it ahead of time. Um, 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 to do it head time. Um, so, you know, and they are still charities. In so, well, they're charities in the sense that, you know, for two reasons. Number one, you know, they're not for profit. So, like, Hoppe makes the point that, like, if you could charge, it, 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 health insurance companies are be allowed to actually discriminate. Healthy people would get lower premiums. Unhealthy people would get uh, higher premiums. There would be an incentive to stay healthy, of course. Uh, and this is more or less an a priori argument. It's hard to test this argument. It's hard to test things in general here, but you know it changes your behavior. And second of all, healthcare insurance is, is um, as Hoppe points out, your response about Ron Paul as well is true. Is that health? Oh, I'll let it lose my train of thought. Health insurance. Um, health insurance gives you um, the the premium payout for weird events like that is really hard to do. You know, like so you should have to come up with how much will you be willing to pay to have a marginal improvement in, in your life. Um, um, so, you know, sometimes I sometimes I think not that I'm a supporter of the NHS or these single payer systems sometimes or even the Soviet system, for that matter, because Jeff Dice a while did a um, this is speaking of weird healthcare stories here. Jeff Dice did an interview with a Soviet immigrant um, and she said she never got Novocaine to bring up another story is. You know, I had a cavity filled when I was like in college and I had to more or less pay for it. So I didn't get Novocaine because I saved like, I don't know, 90 bucks. And actually not using Novocaine, it hurts a little bit up front, but it doesn't hurt. You don't have the numbness feeling afterwards. So now, you know, all the people on the government and mega corporation Bennett programs would, of course, get Novocaine because, you know, why not get Novocaine? It's what the standard procedure is. So in a certain way, again, you don't really have a choice. Like if you get injured and your friend calls 911 correctly, arguably, and the helicopter shows up and you're out mountain biking in the woods, you know, and then you get presented a bill a month later, it's it poses a problem here. I don't really know what to do with it. I'm not saying I should become a socialist for this reason, but I do think it's a tension here. And I do think it's one of those issues where healthcare becomes an issue which eats the whole economy. We sort of saw that with COVID. Like, and actually, funny enough, Michelle Foucault was one of the first people to identify this birth of a clinic. He points out, like, that the, the union between the state and the doctors slash hospitals. Because before, doctors were like these people that you called to come to your house. But then with the, there's a pandemic in south of France, and it sort of, this is where the state got involved um, and it, for, like, national security reasons. Like, well, it wasn't that framework then. Um, but, you know, healthcare is one of those things where, you know, Hayek will make a list of exceptions. But you could drive, I think we said in the Ed Fezzer episode, you could drive a truck through these sort of exception holes. Um, um, so I do think it's one of those goods that poses a problem 
unlike unlike you go to a like a uh, restaurant you have the choice between the chicken and steak fajitas like no one really thinks it's a crime that you can't purchase a crime you don't, no one thinks it's a moral ab- a domination that you can't purchase the steak fajitas or you can't p- purchase front row tickets to the super bowl no one really thinks that maybe there are some consumerist socialists that might say that but very few but like with the healthcare thing this is a much more murkier issue um now this is where I think the selfishness factor of some sort of like objectivists like Ayn Rand actually end up posing a benefit here. So what do you make of that comment? So I entirely agree with you that healthcare insurance started out basically just to cover catastrophic things, which is what those, those charities do, um, and then transition to everything. And I think that's entirely absurd. Uh, I think that's entirely, you know, but but there's also this sort of imposition that we have had a growth of like procedures. And again, I'm well aware that probably people go to the doctors too much, but in catastrophic things, I think, you know, I'm not a postmodern totally when it comes to medicine. I think there's plenty of things that doctors probably do quite, maybe not, but um, I think it's reasonable to think that people would die if they didn't have, you know, someone who breaks their back, didn't, didn't, you know, there's certain things that are reasonable. You know, and these are the limits here. What do you make of this? What do you make of my comments here? It's not really a direct question here. Um, but what do you make it? It is a weird good, and it is a tension for capitalists or market people to defend. Even Kevin Carson, I think it's a sort of tension. Kevin Carson, sorry to keep interrupting, but Kevin Carson might just say, well, we should just have Medicare or something like that. I mean, you, maybe. I'm not entirely sure about that. What do you make of this? So just to clarify, your argument is given the fact we have such a weird system and you can bankrupt people, would it not be better to have like a basically state socialized system? Is that your sort of, well, it's not a question, but you're sort of holding out the possibility if the choice is between the current system and sort of like a socialized system, a more socialized system, more precisely? Well, for the American system, I'd say the American system has the best and the worst of both worlds insofar as like I do think I've been like if you walk around like Taiwan or even like France, I would say that France. Now, whether the civics bear this out is a good question. I would say, for one thing, that Europeans and Taiwanese are healthier on average. Now, whether that's because, you know, like some of the hatred towards centralized healthcare systems is just because they have, they're the ones tasked with rationing it. Because I think at some level, things have to be either, ra- like the market, one of the functions of price, according to Hayek, I think, is rationing. I think Mises would agree with that. Um, um, so, you know, so we have this weird system here, in, at least in the United States. But I think it would, I think the same tension would exist elsewhere. Um, 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 I think the same tension would exist elsewhere. And, you know, the sort of more minarchist economists can sort of be pushed on this. Like Michael Munger was in a debate with a left winger. I sort of like Michael Munger, but he basically thinks that single payer is more rational, uh, which I thought was, you know, he's been on Russ Roberts a lot. I don't like, I don't think they're all like, I find that interesting here that like uh, Michael Munger, no, again, he's not a Rothbardian libertarian, but you know, he's not he's not a capitalist hater either. What do you make of that, Swithin? Like, you know, you do you do you you are aware that there are plenty of capitalists who are otherwise defender of capitalism who think no, this good um, needs to be provided by the state. And same way with national defense as well. Yeah, there are, and I I, I think that largely comes down to the what sees of the increased costs 
of of healthcare over, over the last 30, 40 years. And that is due to advancements in technology. There's a lot more te- um, interventions available to you now than there were historically. Um, so that's certainly uh, true. Um, I'd be interested. That said, though, uh, I I do think now I don't know this for sure, but those people who think that in principle, in the best possible scenario, that the government would need to provide healthcare, which Michael Munger might, um, whereas I well by definition, sort of Kevin Carson wouldn't. Um, I, I do think that there's an, a, probably a question here with respect to in general sort of healthcare regulation and intellectual property law. If you're somebody who doesn't think ultimately that the healthcare system need, need central state regulation and that uh, intellectual property was illegitimate, I severely doubt anybody who held both of those positions would say the state would require through software, even if they would just to take those two positions purely on pragmatic and not sort of moral grounds but well no it just happened to be inefficient so for example um david freeman sort of um flip-flops on this a little bit but um uh david freeman would say that you probably you wouldn't need central regulation of, of of healthcare and um he's sort of against intellectual property i think on a pragmatic basis now obviously he's an anarchist um but all i'm saying is in principle you you could have somebody who wasn't and hold the same two positions David Freeman does on pragmatic basis on AP and um, doctor re- uh, licensing and regulation and stuff. Uh, and I think you would be, it would be unlikely that that person would also hold the position that the state needed to provide, provide health care. Uh, I, I think that would be highly unlikely. Now, I, I do think the American system, as much as I can understand it, because it is a labyrinthine, an astonishingly sort of complex system is very expensive. Uh, that said, it does produce some of the best sort of outcomes from medical intervention than pretty much any in the world. Um, now, I do think it's true that the Americans on average are not as healthy, say, as the Taiwanese or the French, but that's predominantly probably due to dietary uh, reasons and exercise. If you think an interesting question, related to that which is a lot of people would cite is like the american subsidization of like uh, wheat and corn and so basically carbohydrates are significantly cheaper than they otherwise would be which then means people consume more of them um and so they don't eat as much sort of non-carb or processed carbs and maybe they eat more meat or maybe other sort of protein stuff and so then would be healthier uh, then, of course, the argument is, well, the Americans don't walk anywhere because they drive everywhere. And that's because of, oh, well, well, the road system, which was built predominantly for national defense purposes. At least that's the official explanation, I think, uh, with Eisenhower in the 50s. So you, so you, you have additional sort of health um, factors at play when you when you look you comparing. So so that said, though, you could, though, say still say that, well, the American system is still just because but actually even given the current situation, it would be better if it was. Uh, kind of like a single payer or state state provided one. Um, I still think evidence from things like uh, Crafton Health, cost sharing ministries, and there's also other hospitals I'm aware of. I can't remember what they're called that basically put all their prices online and you should go to it and get treatment. Uh, price transparency, to my, to my understanding, basically does not exist in the American system. But there are these sort of pockets of relatively less 
regulated and um, outside the sort of cartel of the insurance companies and the um, and the hospitals, which because um, the, the hospitals and the, and the insurance companies like playing a game where the hospitals keep increasing their prices and then they then and negotiate the, it. And Go the on. state, it's, it's, more, it's more of a triangle because you have the state. Regulating. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this more, sorry to interrupt you, but this is where Kevin Carson's backhand comment about the FDA is entirely like prophetic. Like, he's like, like in a way they write the regulations and the state, you know, it's sort of like a love triangle and they all three actors always benefit in a sense here and the consumers keep losing here. That That's be my analysis here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Entirely, entirely. Um, but I think there is evidence, at least so far, that at least at present, there are alternatives you can get outside the insurance system, which can produce significantly cheaper uh prices than is currently available now you could even i suppose you could then though say well even if you did do that it would still be too expensive now possibly but there does seem to be avenues outside the mainstream system which make it relatively more uh affordable um such that even if you were going on the basis just of cost that the full sort of um state socialized system uh you wouldn't necessarily need to go there uh, now, eventually, you could say, well, well, we're kind of having to. Although, interestingly, in the current American hybrid system, the American federal government spends more per head on medical care than the NHS does uh, in England, which is entirely socialized, which is interesting because on that basis, you could kind of argue that the American system is even more socialized than the, than the uh, British system, despite the fact that, well, we use it for free inverted commas for the point of views um yeah, i i would i i would say that like for healthy people funnily enough for healthy people i think this quote-unquote soviet british system is arguably better for upper middle class people who are slightly or unhealthy the american system who can get like a government or or um who can get like a government or like a mega corporation benefit package then then the american system is a winner um, by far. I mean, and again, that's the main constituency, the sort of, uh, you know, those are the people with the power and they all have like, I would say in that regard, Americans have the best, one of the best health cares, considering their otherwise life factors here. You know, you know, not to make this a debate about whether things can be tested or not, but I've always like, you know, from travel and just from looking at statistics, like, you know, Talon was making this point with like, you know, why are Mediterraneans and Japanese so healthy? Well, they walk up steps all day. You know, their cities are all walkable uh, for all, I think Tokyo is basically so like you can walk a lot like Americans, you were saying, don't you know, and you don't have any bone density and like insulin. Again, like the North Koreans have lower diabetes rates than the United States, you know, concentration and gulag camp survivors have lower diabetes rates, too. So you can sort of will yourself off diabetes, um, and which goes back to the hopping point about insurance here. Like if, if insulin had a cost that wasn't zero. Would people, you know, do some fasting and cut down on the sugars? Probably. Or the carbs? Probably. Um, I, I, I think that would be I think that would be good here. Um, but, yeah, you, you're correct that the American system per head. I mean, this is a talking point for uh, defenders of Medicare for all here in the United States that like the British and Canadian systems are in some ways uh, cheaper. But in that sense, I. I think it, they might be cheaper for certain actual like material reasons. Do you think my net, again? It's hard to it's hard to know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems to be the case that the quality of American healthcare is on average significantly better than the British healthcare. Uh, 
the one thing that the, the NHS, one thing the NHS does well in most cases is emergency treatment. Fair play to the NHS, that's what they do well. But if it's anything that you need to kind of uh, isn't an, like a strict emergency, as in you've been in a car crash, they're useless and you'll be on a waiting list forever. And, you know, they, they could say to so someone in my church that the doctor was like, oh, yeah, you need this sort of operation to cut something out of your stomach or something. I can't remember exactly what the, the, the procedure was. And um, it's like, oh, yeah, because you, your spleen could basically, I think it was spleen, could explode at any moment and you would die. Uh, but uh, we can't do it for like a year or something. At which point she went, uh, right, let's try and find a private hospital. And interestingly there, she paid cash and they gave him a discount because basically all the private, even the, in the UK, all the private hospitals expect to be paid by insurance. And the insurance companies pay later. Uh, they try to negotiate with them for ages. And so um, ho- hospitals like dealing with cash buyers. Um, when you go to them, look, here's the money, it gives the operation to go, yeah, okay. Uh, and if you're cash, they give you a significant discount. So the massive markup, as it were, when it comes to uh, insurance companies is uh, the same in England as it is in the US, it would seem. Oh, to, to go to defending the undefendable route, to be fair to insurance companies, which I think I, I'm not to be fair to state insurance companies in a way and as well as the NHS for defending the undefendable. I do think I do think at the end of the day, there, there has to be a kind of. You know, you said you sort of do the annoying thing that Hoppe and Chomsky do. Um, I do think at the end of the day, there is a limit about, and I think the insurance companies, one of the reasons I think the insurance companies have to charge a lot of money is like take with Obamacare. With Obamacare, you basically have to pay, you have to accept everyone, all right, regardless of their actual pre-existing conditions. This is the rule. Now, whether they can get away with that under the table is Good question. Not entirely sure about that. But like in a sense, you know, an insurance company contract in like a Hoppe stand market would be somewhat murky. And I mean, some of the quote unquote humanists might get kind of annoyed that like, you know, healthy people don't have to pay as much. Unhealthy people have to pay more. Um, Now, again, you could say, well, this insurance is not really for those things aren't really a quote unquote contract here um, in that sort of you know, it, it, it is a it is a it is a sort of strange good. Um, whoever has to provide it, and I do think whoever has to do the scarcity, the scarcity, because you could say cost is a scarcity too. Um, um, that that limiter, uh, whoever is going to be has to do that is going to be um is going to be somewhat hated um or, or not not happy here. I mean, Karl Marx, funnily enough, speaking of sort of Freudian interpretations of history here, had his a daughter die from my understanding um, because there was a medical procedure which he could not afford, which was available at the time. Now, again, you know, it's like, well, there was probably thousands of other people alive that at that point um, um, who had the same issue, who also had a medical procedure that they could not afford. Um, so there is always sort of the degree in which and this is where I think my third point in my opening statement here, like you know, even in a super abundant society, you know, that that's your your point about this would matter on philosophical and sort of theological grounds. I, I I'd sort of like to sort of get in that a little little bit here at the end. I mean, what what do you think should be the total percentage here, whether individual or societal? Because you can imagine, let's say in Ap- in Kapistan, you know, you only spend. You, in theory, you could get by on like if you just ate 
home cooked meals bought at like bottom bracket prices at a supermarket. You can see only spend maybe three percent of your money on like food and let's say three percent of your money on housing. OK, you live in a tiny apartment. Would you want to spend 94 percent of that remaining money that you make on health care? I don't know. That sounds interesting in theory. Um, but I'm not I'm not entirely sure if that's that should be the case, because, you know, you also have the production function too well. And, and another interesting backstory, Jimmy Dore, a famous American com- political comic care comedian, relatively famous, uh, had a hundred thousand dollar medical procedure for his back or something. And he was doing stand up to pay for the procedure, which I thought was interesting. I mean, that's one of the reasons supports for medical for all. Funny enough, in the British system, he might not even be able to get that procedure. If it was not a quote unquote emergency, he might be like that guy in your church who just has to sort of wait around. So at least in New York, you know, he could, you know, do comedy shows by a wheelchair, supposedly, and then pay for it. Um, So there is a sort of production function behind there as well. You know, like it's like in my sort of hypothetical example, you know, do you think 94 percent of the money should go there? It's a sort of burly. It's sort of like a macabre question here to ask you know, how much is a life worth tyler cowan uh says like a million dollars or something like that i think the movie um fight club um says that you know and this is a true thing this is what um that they said that for the this, they had this the f- one one car maker had a thing the pinto or something had exploding exhaust pipe or something like that it wasn't worth doing a recall because it wasn't worth it now that's a, that's an insurance company trans actuary transaction there's some people who do who get jobs doing that i think it's sort of an interesting question here but you can imagine like a hapa stand and i think chomsky stand would have the same issue here you know would you have life flights for everybody would you have a, a ventilator waiting for anybody because that was one of the motives for the lockdown you had a ventilator for everyone then even in the worst case scenario you know everyone has an icu bed waiting for you if if you have super abundance it could happen what do you make of that interesting hypotheticals with them I think one of the first things to ask about um, medical treatment is um, what do you what's kind of like the minimal standard of living that you require to make it kind of worthwhile to be alive? Um, I would probably say um, that you that I have sort of decent mental function um, in that um, I can talk to people. Or at least communicate with them. I mean, in principle, you know, I could be dumb. Um, I could be ill in that respect. But I could think. I could probably. Uh, well, I suppose you know, maybe if you buy. I think minimally, you could, in general, I must think about this more. Uh, that you could talk to, you could communicate with other people. And let's suppose you're a uh, quadriplegic, um, and you could still be fed. Um, you might still be able to do things, and sort of like be sort of still distinctly human insofar as you could still use language to a now depending what we mean by language but to have have thought in the abstract sense and have a complete sort of idea and communicate and if you could do that and you were sort of like semi uh, to to a large degree still had that i think that'd be like a minimum amount that you go okay that's probably worth paying for if it was the case whereby that you were mostly bedridden you're in pain you couldn't really talk to people very much if, if at all or communicate with them easily when you're at that stage unless there's significant prospects for recovery to a higher state i probably go then go 
well, I'll just take what comes. Uh, I won't take it. I'll just try and make me comfortable. I'm not advocating euthanasia, but um, you know, make me comfortable, and then I'll see out my my final few days or weeks or however long long that is. Um, then when it comes to proportion of income, I suppose you could say, well, you if you're younger, you probably want to maintain it, depending if you could have obviously have all these additional costs as well and whether or not you you could work. I mean, in that case, you probably couldn't. Well, I suppose you might if you could work remotely. So that's, that's a different question. That is a question, you know, to what extent are you putting a burden on somebody else to keep you alive? Um, now, if, of course, you're a member of some sort of mutual fund and they were they everyone agreed that they joined this and they wanted that kind of protection in this case but up until you know the situation where you know cognitive ability hits the deck and um you're basically just uh, you're mostly asleep most of the time um then you know that th they would pay for it so i th i think i'm probably the opinion that i think they would pay for more um than you think they would, although I think that still both of us be less than it currently is. Um, but I would also say that in a sense, you would have the healthcare system as intervention would focus more towards probably um, serious intervention rather than minor ones, because if you have to pay out of pocket for the minor ones, people might just like tough it out. You go, why do I actually need these drugs? It's kind of painful if I don't have them, but, you know, it's fine. Or if any of the uh, less serious ones, they'll just try and take the cheapest version of it. And so I think you'd have a, a greater sort of standard deviation of treatment of severity than you do at present. It's kind of more of those medium ones as well. You could say sort of taking up the money. Um, so when it comes to how much is a life worth, I mean, I suppose that depends on how much you're willing or someone else is willing to pay for it, uh, I suppose. So, um, um, yeah, so whether Tyler Cowan was right with a million dollars, I have no idea. Well, one, one area I think you'd agree with me is, in general, I think elderly care is, again, you could say, well, this I'm just, you know, and actually the formal justification for the lockdowns is this as well, is I would say elderly care is overrated, especially if you ask them. I mean, one of the funny things the news reporters once did was asked elderly people if they supported the lockdown and they got some people gave them the wrong answer. Um, they actually said they didn't support them. Like, you know, do you think people should stop going out to dinner to escape you? Like they asked you sort of the crass question. They said, not, you know, like not, maybe not everyone would think that, but like a lot of elderly people seem not to like it, like not like these sort of Care. So like there's a sort of humanitarian, like not 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 totalitarian humanist in so far, but but I will I will point out that like you know in the same way that death penalties might be more humane than life in prison, I think in a sense um, these expensive procedures, and if they had to actually pay for them, and, and there was a book about Amish healthcare options, which is sort of what in a sense the free society may or may not do, sort of mutual aid. It turns out like the elderly themselves sort of just sort of don't want these procedures precisely they don't want to burden the charity they want to give it to the young which i think is a completely rational uh i think that's a completely rational position um now again that might be politically incorrect it may not be politically incorrect i, I don't really care um um but that would be roughly my position um um that you know 
you just basically every year the value to a mutual aid society um, ought to decrease. Would you agree with that? And do you agree also that, you know, the uh, elderly care is probably again, it sounds like, quote unquote, unquote, in your hand, but you do have these procedures at end of life, which basically you have to scratch your head. If if anyone had to pay for them, very few people would justify it. Like and again, if you have to say charity pays for it, would the charity even want to pay for it? So this is sort of like a big version of like the not toughing it out issue here. You know, I think at that point, the questions do have to be made because I I do think one of the impetuous to get rid of a free society is for security. And this is, you know, healthcare security. It, it, it's one of the things people go to. So I, I do think there certainly has to be some kind of thing for any ideal society. What do you make of that, Swithin? Um, I do think that... Um, so with the lockdowns, uh, it's slightly different with the lockdowns. I mean, because I, I I would treat the in a sense of justification for lockdowns as purely life extension. So those LD people might have themselves have actually wanted to go and do things, uh, which they were basically legally prohibited from doing so, because it would help them. Uh, so I, I I think there's kind of a cost benefit on the individual level which the lockdowns kind of like just can't account for. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree that the when you get to a certain age, you know, do I really need this treatment? Does it is it going to give me that much benefit? So even I was saying, you know, my the minimum amount, the minimum sort of um, uh, quality of life would be I'd have some sort of I could be able to communicate with people and I'd be able to um, think and talk. Well, maybe not talk, but at least communicate. That'd be like baseline minimum. I might still go well. It might get me that, but frankly. I'm probably not going to live that much longer anyway. And would I rather this money have gone to my children or my grandchildren? Probably. And this is the bizarre thing with a lockdown is with any functioning society, um, if you want to perpetuate the society in the fu- in, into the future, in a sense, what matters most is the children in the society, because they are what's going to perpetuate the society going forward. Uh, and what the lockdowns did is they sacrificed the young at the expense of the old. Sorry, they sacrificed the young for the old. Um, I mean, effectively, that was really the justification for it, uh, which is a somewhat bizarre situation. I mean, it's 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 kind of similar in certain respects. There's a there's an old Doctor Who episode in which one guy kind of keeps himself alive by absorbing the life essence of, of like um like children and like young people and like under like 20s or whatever these young women predominantly and in a sense the 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 lockdowns are sort of a vampiric um action in that in that respect um so yeah but i mean just just with the lockdowns in general i mean this is why you want to try and get as far away as you can from state socialized healthcare at all um because if they never had anything to do with it they could know there couldn't be a system to collapse which would be their fault uh, this is taking the most benign interpretation of governmental action over the last two years which i'm not inclined to take but if you were you could go oh well they just don't want a, a, a healthcare system that's theirs or they have a lot of hand in to collapse under their watch well if it didn't have such a system because it wasn't under their watch well, then it wouldn't matter um so but back to the point before yeah you're going to get to a situation whereby it's not worth paying for it if you this this procedure is going to be sixty thousand pounds or whatever 
uh, or in the and the charity won't pay for it because they don't think it's worth it. And you go sixty thousand. Is it worth it? No, because I can give this to my grandchildren to get a house and stuff and better for them going forward. Then clearly you're not going to pay for it. The the question, the empirical thing is really, I think, when it comes to insurance and or uh, mutual aid societies, will it be will treatment which can achieve a minimum living standard as as you so as you may individually define it is that going to be relatively affordable for most people if yes then it's not really an issue if no then of course you're going to make decisions such as no let's not spend the 60 grand let's give it to the kids so that that'd be my my response to that i, I entirely agree with the vampire like comments but I, w- I would say the vampire system existed um the vampire system existed here in some accounts anyways um and existed and existed beforehand in a sense too um um so but yeah the 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 sort of vampire the vampire the dracula nature of um the system i i entirely agree which is one of the reasons why i uh somewhat oppose it you know like you know, if, if it was the other way around i might be more sympathetic to the system um but since it's this way around I'm very unsympathetic to the system, um, um, regardlessly, and just sort of like a sort of pragmatic, empirical, ethical basis here, forgetting like any sort of like first principles argument here. But I do, I do think, you know, I do think it's a problem that like, you know, a lot of the so-called radical libertarian economists, like a, not that Hayek, Hoppe doesn't think Hayek's radical, but a number of them do think this is a good that the state can provide or it's going to have problems. Um, um, so I do think an answer to that question, uh, which is, you know, I, I, and one of the purpose of this episode for me was to try to figure out, like, you know, what would an ideal society pay or not pay and why or why wouldn't it do, do it? Um, because I do think at some level there is a scarcity that has to be hit. And you know, that, I, I think a lot of times when people say you have a right to health care, um, you know, like what the, the better question is, what does that not include? Because you could just argue food is healthcare, as Walter Block pointed out in his debate with Sam Cedar. Like, you know, you could say, well, all cars need airbags, so no, no cheap cars. Um, because in a sense, if if the government has to pick up the tab for uh, accidents, they should all be wearing seatbelts, and they should all. And again, people use the seatbelt justification for all sorts of things the past two years. Um, uh, uh, so, I, I do think, I do think it's a I think it's a question here. I think, you know, if you ask, you know, what's the hard problems? It's national defense, it's health care, it's, 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 you know, as definitely as Kinsella would say, minarchists only want, minarchists think the government's bad, except for the really important things like health care, education, defense. Those things the government is provide, but things like restaurants and less important theme parks, those things can be provided by the market. Um, um, so, you know, I do think it would be less, but, you know, the, it is interesting here, like, you know, what what will be the limits here? Those are my overall comments. I appreciate doing these discussions with it. If you have any other comments here, that would be be great. But otherwise, thanks for doing it. Uh, the final one, I mean, in the ideal society, I suppose you, depending on what it is, you could say that the material standard of living would be higher. And so um, it wouldn't really be as much of a problem. But uh, especially if, if the um, birth rate was relatively high, because I do think one thing's missing in sort of this kind of well, I mentioned it earlier is you essentially have an increasingly top heavy age society who are both become dependents and are more expensive to keep alive than children are on average. 
uh, and that that um, that creates a more societal wide problem. Um, but I, but when it comes to healthcare in general, no, you don't. I mean, if it's the case, if you can make successfully make the case against intellectual property and licensing requirements, there is really no argument as to why the market couldn't provide and provide it well and generally a relatively affordable rate. Uh, those those areas in medical care which have been more uh, free and less regulated, like laser eye surgery and stuff, they have come down in price. So we have at least some evidence from uh, the less regulated areas that prices can and could come down if the market were freer. Oh yes, uh, uh, quick quick addition. Speaking of unregulated areas, things like alternative medicine are really huge in the United States, I think precisely because the formal system, quote unquote formal system, is expensive. So actually chiropractors and other services that are considered, you know, on the fringes, let alone the people that Joe Rogan sometimes interviews, like alternative treatments, they're, they're like very cheap because you could argue they're fraudulent or, you know, you could. Some may, now, that's sort of a tricky aside there. But, you know, your example about laser eye surgery being cheap. Be Christ because it's outside the system is entirely the case. So I, I'm not, I'm sort of doing this to talk myself out of it, but I also think in, in that way. So sorry to interrupt there with that little aside there. No, 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 that, that, that that's, that's entirely true. And, and then then you get to the big question, which is behind is as you mentioned earlier, you know, is 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 the sort of med, uh, the mechanized as it were health system actually good for health? etc and that is a whole uh, other topic but now i'd just like to thank everyone for listening if you enjoyed this podcast please share it with your friends and family or anyone you i think get something out of it and um could and it'd be great if you could uh, subscribe uh, on uh, youtube and on podbean the more subscribers we get the higher we get in the search rankings and the more people can access this material and if you'd like to contact the show for any reason please contact us at mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com that's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com 